welcome back to Red, Wide, and Vroom Podcasting, Formula One, IndyCar, and Zeppelin Rallycross, a production of Consolidated Lutheria Media. Official disclaimer, for the purposes of this podcast, I officially know nothing about anything, while my co-host knows something about several things, none of them officially. That's because, joining me, on the other line, she has finally bedded herself. It is Elena! <laughs> Before we get to serious matters, do you want to clarify situations? Yeah, so... Uh, several years ago, I requested a specific bed from Pottery Barn, and my husband was like, that is too much money. So now it's been, you know, three plus years, and... This evening, we finally finished building his knockoff version of it. This is especially <laughs> notable because we intended, like he, he'd been doing a lot of the work on this for the last couple of weeks, and we'd intended to put it all together Monday night, and for various reasons, could not. So I've been sleeping in a bunk bed uh, this week. So I'm very excited to have my mattress back. Ah, and Elena's husband is finally out of the doghouse. Speaking of which, that was maybe the levity that we will have for today. Uh, Because this is our emergency pod for the Andretti Cadillac news of Formula One declining their application. Uh, We will also uh, get to uh, Lewis Hamilton signing for Ferrari which is genuinely enormous news. But as Andretti Cadillac's bid is sort of the founding moment and issue of this podcast, and I just finished listening to Joe Sayward rattle off uh, F1's talking points, it's... We're going to talk about it. So you might have figured out that John is a bit mad i'm uh, mad like gee, okay so f1 is a corrupt bunch of crooks right we know yeah, that clearly. we've always we, known that they've always been that way yes exactly it, it's part it's of their roguish charm their blood yes <laughs> um but i previously on this podcast when they announced the General Motors uh, team up when Andretti did. And when Andretti Cadillac announced that General Motors had filed its application to enter as a power unit manufacturer, I, on this podcast, said, I just don't think there's any way that F1 can turn them down now. Like, there is no... You can't do it. It's General Motors saying, hi, can we play in your motorsport? Mm-hmm. Well, yesterday, Formula One put up a statement listing the ways in which it found Andretti Cadillac's bid to negotiate um, its place in the commercial rights agreement 
while joining the Formula One World Championship that it had been ex- accepted to by the governing body, that it had decided not to. It had decided not to negotiate those commercial rights. And so, what we have in front of us is uh, Formula One's reasoning, which has been described in some podcasting circles as uh, rigorous and detailed and lengthy. I mean, it is lengthy. It's not lengthy enough! It also is detailed. I mean, it's bad. It's no, stupid. It, it's... it is. It is uh, numbered. Yeah. It is certainly numbered. And at some points, there are subsections which are lettered. But it is it has... a s- series of unproven and unsupported assertions that are largely dumb and yes, unsupported. It is stupid. Yes. It is long, though. I mean, it is It is long. I mean, it's a whole lot of words to say a whole lot of not much. It is long for a press release and not long for a justification. But that is not the thing that we are mad at. I mean, I'm we a are... mad at that. <laughs> I... Okay. So. Um... Basically, let's just get down to it, because Formula One hangs its hat. It says the majority of its case of evaluating the commercial worthiness of Andretti Cadillac's um, commercial rights participation is tied to Andretti Cadillac's competitiveness. Now, I want to say at the outset, I am not privy to the Concord Agreement. You are not privy to the Concord Agreement. Joe Sayward is not privy to the Concord Agreement. Wink, wink. Um, It is private. And even Joe Sayward says it should be public. So that we know exactly who is saying what. But my understanding is that The FIA is the governing body, and they make determinations about competitiveness and safety and all of those things. Uh, For instance, uh, they revoked the license of, uh, I believe it was Marusha, to, they revoked their F1 uh, license for being so grossly uncompetitive as to bring uh, diminishment to the sport. The FIA accepted Andretti Cadillac's bid and found it sufficiently compelling uh, to approve it and to say that they did not see any way in which it could be declined. So, FOM, Formula One Management, formerly of Bernie Eccleston, now descending in integrity. To be clear, to be clear, this is Liberty Media now, right? Liberty Media, owner of my favorite Atlanta Braves. I was going to say, this is what I would expect from them as the owner (laughs) of the Atlanta Braves. (laughs) 
the fissure that runs through this podcast <laughs> rears its head. Look. It, 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 admittedly, I am a Baltimore Orioles fan first. Okay, that's acceptable, sort of. Um, but I would expect nothing My less theater. from the owners of the Braves. You know, yeah. being being trash in like every way possible is on brand. Okay, this is getting to libel, which we are reserving for. Yeah, actually, the people you're libeling, so that's fine. Yeah, except it's oh, not God. libel because we live in America where we have freedom of speech, and so when Joe Sayward is trying to tell uh, the Miss Apex host that he is libeling Liberty Media by implying that they were looking out for the commercial interests of the Formula One teams. Isn't isn't it being the, the truth a defense against libel anyway? Well, right. And also, in the UK, they play fast and loose with that stuff. We're here in America. We are red, America. white, and vroom. And to be clear, we love Formula One and watching it. And that's why we're here and devote this part of our time to it. But, and why we have paid the money to go attend Formula One races the past two years and in international travel, uh, have spent unconscionable portions of our disposable income on Formula One merch. This is appalling. And so, yes, we were getting to reasons. We were getting to arguments. Argument to support our libel, which isn't libel because truth is an absolute defense. Um, and it's not libel anyway because we're individuals. Also, because America. Yes. Um, I don't understand anything about the law, to be clear. <laughs> um, they put this on... Um, all of this on competitiveness. And essentially, I was going to read through all of this and like go line by line. But that's giving it pointless. way too much like because benefit. it's as Joe Sayward would say, tosh. It is <laughs> tosh. Or as we like to say, it is bullcrap. Um because Pile of a, yep. In my understanding, Formula One is not, you know, Liberty Media controls the TV rights and the prize money, and that is their division of labor, and the FIA is concerned with competitiveness, all of that. Uh, the rules expressly allow for up to 12 teams and not 10 years ago, there were there were 24 cars on the grid. And so let's jump to where they to where Liberty Media says that it cannot come to a commercial agreement with Andretti Cadillac because there isn't enough room on racetracks. That's crap. There was enough room 10 years ago. Well, they, I, they, they, they just 
added an entire extra grid for Apple TV's Brad Pitt to drive a fake Formula One car and make pit stops on the pit lane. Pit stops. Sorry. What? Um, no, I mean, it's, it's complete crap. And, you know, the only way in which this might be possible, you know, is that they've added a lot of tracks to the, to the calendar and a lot of street circuits, uh, specifically, where maybe things are a little tight. But, you know, I'm sure they can figure it out. They're smart people. They're paid a lot of money. Exactly. And the tightest of all of them is always going to be Monaco, because it is a tiny principality uh, whose roads were built centuries ago. And they somehow managed, which Spanners stumped Sayward with, when Sayward was insisting that Monaco had always had, you know, no more than 20 cars on the grid. Spanner said, what about 10 years ago when we had 24 cars on the grid? Well, don't you know the cars are smaller then? Well, I mean, genuinely they were. They were like half yes. the size, but... But their pit boxes weren't that much smaller. Right. Um, And that's another of Formula One's problems, but another rant that we will not get to today because we have the issue at hand. And... um. I want to focus again on this competitiveness because the Formula One argument essentially boils down to Formula One is really hard. You don't understand how hard it would be. The fact that you're proposing to join in 2025 and build a whole new car for that and then build a whole new car under a whole new set of regulations for 2026 is prima facie evidence that you do not understand the enterprise in which you are proposing to engage, and thus we cannot admit you. Don't worry your little American brains about it. It's really complicated. Whereas, when Haas joined <laughs> I was waiting the for grid this. in 2015, I think they got like fifth. That first season, and then in 2016, had a whole new set of regulations. This was just done. And well, furthermore, that's not where I thought you were going. I thought you were going when Haas to talk about how when Haas completely just like didn't try right before the new regs, right? The, the last year, they were just like, oh, we don't care about this. We're focusing our development on the new car. Nobody cared about them not being competitive then. Also, uh, let's be very clear that a lack of competitiveness is already dealt with by the regulations. If you are not within 107% of, um, is it the poll time? Uh, of a certain time in qualifying, you do not qualify for the race. You do not have to worry about if they show up and their car just doesn't work because they don't get to race with it. It's already provided for in the regulations which the FIA enforces. It's all a bunch of crap. Also, okay. go, please. No, no, what it is is that they want to they postpone until the new Concord Agreement, uh, which I think would be 2026, 
um, when they can, you know, triple, quadruple, quintuple, whatever the entry fee. Right, and th- that and, is th- th- that is uh, one of the most significant things. But honestly, from what I can, uh, from what I've read and can tell, Andretti has unlimited money behind them. They could cut an extra four hundred million dollar check and go about their day. If that's all this was about, I mean, it's it's about protecting what they perceive the value as the value of their franchise, you know, right? They they think that adding an eleventh team to the grid diminishes the value of the asset that they own. If you say the only way to get in is to buy one of these ten slots from an existing owner, then they, the existing owners, set the price. Exactly, but that is only from the perspective of the existing owners who Formula One insists had no say in Uh this process. And they could not have a say because that would be an anti-competitive practice and that, Joe Sayward says, is libel. Well, so I'm not saying that Liberty Media went and asked the owners, but I'm sure that much like, I'm going to go back to the baseball thing here, Rob Manfred is a 100% in any in any situation, uh, thinking about what would what would make the owners happy, Liberty Media says, okay, what protects the people who are already in the sport? Right, and also I'm saying they asked Toto Wolf and Christian Horner, and that Stefano Domenicali had innumerable conversations with the Formula One team owners behind this. And that it was a significant fact in their decision making. And I, mean, I, I think can it was say, probably the only real fact. Yes. And I can say that, Mr. Domenicali, because I live in America. And also, truth is it's an true. absolute defense to libel. Okay. So there's a, another thing that outrages me here, which is the treatment of General Motors in this. Um, and. This is not outraging me as much, like, morally as it is just, like, breaking my brain. Because they, you know, they're specifically evaluating this bid. Um, and they discuss a lot about the Andretti name. And we will get to that, because that outrages me morally. Um, but... Um... They include here, and here I will read it, the application contemplates an association with General Motors that does not initially include a power unit supply with an ambition for a full partnership with GM as a power unit supplier in due course. This is Andretti Cadillac. General Motors is heavily invested in this project as was reported just days before formula one made its decision andretti now has a technical team of 120 to 150 people um 50 of which are general motors employees and general motors is actively manufacturing components in its facilities while actively supporting the CFD development that Andretti Cadillac is conducting in Toyota's wind tunnel in Cologne, which was recently vacated 
by McLaren's Formula One team, which used that wind tunnel. But, you know, Cadillac is not heavily invested. There's no evidence that Cadillac is heavily invested in this bid. There's no evidence <laughs> that they'll ever supply a power unit. You know, who are they going to get a power unit from? Right. And so, and furthermore, uh, this, you know, talks at length about how they they don't recognize how hard it is. And that this would be an enterprise which they are unprepared for and have never engaged in before. And Formula One is the technical pinnacle of motorsport. There's no question about that. No one is denying that. Um, I mean, I think there are some arguments to be made there. I I don't know. It's the technical pinnacle of open wheel racing. I think there's no denying that. Okay. All right. Um, But to that point... Um, Andretti, uh, well, Andretti has predominantly raced in IndyCar, which is, um, a mostly spec series. Um, uh, General Motors, this heavily invested partner, just has, uh, just entered Le Mans for the first time in decades last year and put their car on the podium at the top class of Le Mans. They then went on to uh, win the IMSA, uh, you know, DTP, whatever they call it, the top class of IMSA the and the Manufacturers Champion. The prototype, the top prototype class. Yes, the which, top prototype And class. to be clear, when I was saying that Formula One is definitely the technical pinnacle of open wheel racing, that's because prototype racing could potentially be viewed as the pinnacle of racing. It's definitely a competitor. Yes, and in that, you're constructing your car. You're constructing everything around it. There is aerodynamics, there is suspension, there are chassis, there are engines. It It's pretty advanced stuff. That being said, putting your car on the podium at Le Mans, given like, the weird rules that can benefit sandbagging early in the season, questionable... You know, how winning much, the how Constructors and Drivers' Championships across an entire season of the top level of prototypes? I mean, yeah, that means more. Yeah. Um, what's more, the people who Andretti has hired to run this uh, include their technical director, Nick Chester, a fellow who I will admit I had not heard of before I, I um, learned this information. And so I was curious. And so did some digging as to Nick Chester's education uh, in motorsport, his experience. Um, Mr. Chester spent a significant amount of his career at uh, the Instone-based Formula One racing outfit, which has been uh, Renault and Lotus, and I think that's most of it for his period of time well, there. 
you know, neither of those teams is very good. I don't know if he really understands how Formula One works and if he's really the right person to bring these, you know, classless, uneducated Americans to the pinnacle of open wheel racing. In his time at Renault, uh, he was promoted to be uh, head of the of Renault's vehicle performance group. Um, in 2005. Now, vehicle performance seems like, you know, a reasonably important part of the process of Formula One racing. Um, And while he was head of that vehicle performance group, Renault won back-to-back world championships with Fernando Alonso. Like I said, they're not very good. I mean, if they were good, they would have won seven in a row like mercedes he then um replaced uh at instead replaced james allison as the team's technical director for seven years and then in 2020 he joined the mercedes formula e team as technical director the mercedes formula the sinking ship of Mercedes. The Mercedes Formula E team that then won the Formula E championship with Nick DeVries. Well, I mean, that was clearly all the driver. I mean, most talented driver on any grid. Oh, man. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't understand why you think this person is qualified to uh, lead a Formula One team. It's not something he has any relevant experience for, at least yes, not that I can in, see. In his time at Renault, uh, Mr. Chester oversaw the development of the tuned mass damper system, which was a major innovation. I don't know what those words mean, but they sound important. <laughs> they, they have also brought on, um, as their head of aerodynamics, Mr. John Tomlinson. Uh, who has... I mean, he's not Adrian Newey. Right, he's not Adrian Newey. Can you um, imagine, why? by the way, if they did somehow manage to hire Adrian Newey, what sort of like mental gymnastics uh, Fob would have to go through to be like, oh, no, 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 your team doesn't understand how this works. <laughs> well, like Adrian Newey, Mr. Tomlinson uh, spent part of his career uh, work on aerodynamic uh, development for Newman Haas Racing's Lola IndyCars in the 1990s, uh, when it was a very open development system. Uh, He then went on to have a number of other programs, such as with Jordan Grand Prix Racing, uh, to when uh, Renault uh, hired him as a senior aerodynamicist before he became deputy head of aerodynamics in 2003, producing, being very instrumentally involved in producing the aerodynamics for the 2005-2006 World Championship winning Renault cars. Sounds like a whole bunch of losers involved in this Andretti Cadillac thing. I think it's very reasonable that, you know, 
FOM doesn't want them involved in F1. It doesn't think they're qualified. They, they don't understand the magnitude of the challenge, Elaine. No, they don't. They just have no appreciation for the technical content that goes into one of these cars. And they are proposing to manufacture some of these parts in America. That is well, prima facie evidence that they do not understand what it takes to perform at a high level. Yeah. American manufacturing, you know, is famously and historically terrible. Yeah. Um. I. Like, th this is a thing that a lot of people were, like, expecting. Um. It seems now. Um. I, as I said, I had not really expected Formula One to do it. But when General Motors made clear the significance of their investment, I thought it is unquestionably, there is no leg to stand on to deny this bid. And once again, finally, um, okay. Not finally. I shouldn't say finally. I'm nowhere near finally. Um, they, uh, the, F, the F1 denial notes that while General Motors would be building their engines to enter Formula One, uh, Andretti Cadillac would need to buy a engine from one of the other engine manufacturers in Formula One. Uh, they had a contract to do that with Renault. Uh, Formula One dragged its feet long enough that that contract term expired. Um, and so Formula One is discussing... Uh, a provision in the rules that says that any team that does not have an engine supplier can request one and must be provided one by the existing manufacturers. But, you know, that would put an undue burden on those manufacturers. And they don't even talk about that. They say that the need for any new team to take a compulsory power unit supply potentially over a period of several seasons, would be damaging to the prestige and standing of the championship. It, I mean, okay. The, most of the content of this statement is so offensively incorrect that I just have a hard time engaging with it. And, like, I know I appreciate how... how detailed of a look you have taken at, at it and your detailed run through of all the problems with it because I started to read it and I was just like this is so dumb I cannot wrap my brain around this I cannot do this to myself I feel my brain cells dying how would the prestige and standing of the championship be damaged by a team buying engines when that is what most of the grid does and now I want to say I want to say that I think relying on a compulsory engine purchase is, you know, a bad look. 
it, it's awkward. Um, it, it, it will be better for Andretti to, as it did with Renault, you know, negotiate the purchase of one of those. I mean, but I also want to say that this is specifically provided for within the rules. And so the suggestion that a team following the rules would be damaging to the prestige and standing of the championship is insane. Yeah. I mean, not to mention, by the way, like, sure, their agreement with Renault has run out, but Renault has historically been real desperate to sell some engines. I I don't think that barring some sort of uh, anti-competitive activity, yes, barring cartel-like anti- action, yes, barring barring some uh, cartel-like action. I like that one. Uh, you know, Renault would be very happy to to renegotiate a deal and to sell them an engine. I don't think they would require a compulsory engine. Yeah. Um, finally, and this might be finally, I, I might be winding down for this term, um, but I, I want to settle on something that I think really per- portrays a profound misunderstanding of Formula One, its growth, racing, and all of that. Uh, Number 16, right after the compulsory power unit damage claim, uh, F1 says that while the Andretti name carries some recognition for F1 fans, our research indicates that F1 would bring value to the Andretti brand rather than the other way around. Now, I, I want to say, I, I accept that. I, I think Andretti... I don't! I, I think... No, I, I, I absolutely to, do not accept that. I, I think F1 would raise... You know, being in F1 would bring a lot to sort of the Andretti name. And that the marginal benefit to F1 would be less than Andretti would be getting in that... I In disagree. that pure IP thing. No, so I, I, I disagree. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it depends what your time horizon is. I think that, you know, F1 is currently experiencing a boom in the U S right. Uh, largely driven by drive to survive, which is not something they had any, like this was not a planned thing. They weren't like, Oh, we do this Netflix series. And it's going to go boom in the U S like they sort of lucked into that partially with the pandemic too. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think to sort of, keep that from being a temporary boom that is going to be followed by a bust, having a a serious American team and an American team that is actually investing in order to be competitive, unlike Haas, which is neither American nor investing, nor is it competitive, having a serious American entry would provide significant long-term value in mm-hmm. cementing F1 as a sport Americans will continue to engage with. Yeah, I mean, so sure. I, mm-hmm. And I, th- I think that is something that they are undervaluing because I don't think that they 
weight the risk of losing American fans or losing American dollars as heavily as they should. I think they're like, mm-hmm. it's great. There's all this money being spent. There's unlimited money in the U.S. for sports. We're going to get a lot. We're just going to keep growing. And I think that's incorrect. I think that they are not, they're not going to continue growing on the curve they're growing on without investment in the U.S. and yeah, not I, I, adding a third I, race in Vegas. I, I, I think that's absolutely true. Um, and I was thinking more of a, like the short-term pop. Who gets more short-term okay. pop? Yeah, sure. I mean, short-term, whatever. One. But like, um, you got to look a little further out. Exactly. And I think Which that is a at, very- Yes, and I think that is a very well uh, taken point, particularly given how much engagement General Motors has in institutions across the United States. Yeah. Um, and all of that. But I, I, I wanted to sort of step back and get to, while the Andretti name carries some recognition, for F1 fans. Uh, before Drive to Survive, and I'm a Drive to Survive fan. Elena uh, has been a fan for longer, and thus we, you know, I think are a good match on this show. Uh, as a Drive to Survive fan, before 2020, when I started watching the show, the only um, names... I knew that had anything to do with motorsport were maybe uh, maybe Richard Petty and Dale Earnhardt because I'm from North Carolina and then Andretti. And I didn't even really know exactly what an Andretti was, but I knew it was fast. (laughs) I knew Andretti means fast. And then as I became a fan um, in 2020 through Drive to Survive and, um, you know, all of the very human dynamics and ways that I think it's an incredible storytelling device for getting you to engage with and understand what is at stake in the human dimension of motorsports. I wanted to know more. And so I, like so many of our friends, devoured information devoured content devoured information about the history of this institution that i was falling in love with and what i could latch on to is because one of the things that was challenging for me as an american is that f1 historically has been a very eurocentric sport and so I, I appreciated Haas-ish, you know, especially I before I... I heavy on Haas when they were new to the grid. I was like, American mm-hmm. team, I'm excited about it. I'm going to root for them. I've cooled on that. Yeah, so I, as we realize how little Americanness there is to Haas, um, that, that has waned, but it, it has often felt like a cult there's been a cultural distance, um, which is fair, you know. But what I could latch on to is there are Americans who have won here. Um, You know, I I read The Limit and read about Phil Hill's uh, championship. 
And But then, echoing throughout everything, even in the most um, parochial F1-only content, was the respect for Mario Andretti and what he had done and what he had accomplished in winning that 1978 World Championship. In a ground effect car, by the way, and he recently had a Beyond the Grid podcast, which is Formula One's official podcast, in which he was describing all of the intricacies of managing ground effect aerodynamics. Something that Adrian Newey just leveraged into a massive leap ahead of the other teams who did not remember working on ground effect cars and which he could bring to an Andretti institution, such as a suggestion that porpoising is a dynamic if you don't deal with it. And this is how, you know, we manage suspensions around porpoising and manage, you know, tune, even with the limited uh, technical capacity we had at that time, tuned ground effect to be most effective around an entire track. Um, and so I knew that he had done that. And then the more I learned, the more remarkable that history was. Um, and Michael was not able to get the chance to have um, his father's career in Formula One. You know, he he's one of the unluckiest drivers uh, yeah. as an all timer. Um, his his McLaren, his one McLaren season was just tremendously unfortunate, and you know you yeah. sort of got the feeling that he was doing it for his dad anyway, and so then he came back. He's but, in good company with having some terrible seasons in a McLaren. Just putting that out there. <laughs> yeah. Um. But this attachment to the past is what um, grabbed me about Formula One, is the history. Is, you know, I'm a Williams fan. Um, and Williams is not at the front of the grid right now. and hasn't been for <laughs> you don't say. A, a long time. But their history is tremendous, and I love it. And I love Nigel Mansell, Mario Andretti's <laughs> a teammate in the 1990s, somehow. Um, and I want to really... I, I've seen a lot of suggestion by Mr. Sayward, at, at, who is presenting himself, basically, as... Uh, the stand-in for all of this, of saying that F Formula One history only counts to old farts who don't like change uh, and say everything's not as good as it used to be. And I want to emphasize the importance of history to building, as you were saying, a sustainable fan base where you're not going to have every season be a 2021 where it is back and forth between two all-time champions. Yeah. You're going to have 
in more seasons than not in Formula One, a runaway winner. What keeps you engaged is the technical prowess, certainly, but also the history and the connection. And so... To say that the Andretti name carries some recognition for F1 fans, and to suggest that that is only fans who, that the only fans who care about Mario Andretti and the Andretti name are people who were actively in the stands watching him in the 1970s is fundamentally incorrect and is, go- is reflective of an attitude that is going to ultimately cannibalize your long-term source of fan support from people who want to love your sport. But now, in this dripping with disdain document, feel like your sport has made clear that its only interest in Americans is drawing money To the other side of the pond. Yeah, um, all they want from Americans is their money. Right. And they're, if that's their goal, they're being very short-sighted about it. Because, I mean, the other thing that we've talked about before, but I think is also relevant here, is that Americans want to root for winners. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most, most people are going to adopt a team, right? Mm-hmm. And they're not going to adopt Haas, because they suck. And... They're not going to adopt, you know, I, yourself excluded, but like most people are not going to adopt Williams, even if Logan Sargent is driving, because he's not a winner. And we'll sure, see. We'll see. Yeah. We'll, one, one year down, rooting for him. But, you know, sure, they'll adopt other teams. But I think that much like you have the, the sort of broad-based Tafosi support for Ferrari, you would get sort of more broad-based American support for an American team if they were good. And, you know, yeah. sure, maybe Andretti won't, wouldn't be good. You know, they've they've ha- definitely had their struggles in other race series, but they are showing a lot more interest and a lot more uh, evidence of investment than the than Haas, basically. Certainly. And then multiple, te- and, then multiple teams. And you're right. really and telling they me that they just won the Formula E World Championship last year. And you're, but you're also telling me that you think that Andretti doesn't provide more value to the grid than I don't, re- I cannot remember what they've renamed themselves, than Toro Rosso, than Red Bull's second team. Like no, I think, I mean, sure, okay. Here, here's my solution. If you don't want to have. Uh, more than 10 teams it's you relegate the lowest team you force a sale yeah there's there's a whole nother rant here that that i i would love to have over sort of prize money and all of those things um and that i think we'll get to um i i think we have put a good flag in the ground of our feelings on F1's rejection of Andretti Cadillac. Um, 
and we will this is likely not the last that we will discuss this subject um i do want to uh give us a little bit of time um to i i think that's actually a good place to leave the episode um and that we lewis hamilton has gone to ferrari which is and we'll get to that next time. A bomb of news. And we will be following that closely. But to be clear, we think, at least I think, and I'm assuming you agree with me, that the timing of that coming out was deliberately uh, targeted to overshadow the Andretti news. And mm-hmm. that's why we felt it was very important to dedicate a full episode to and ready before even thinking about the Hamilton Ferrari news. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is, you know, we don't make any uh, pretenses of being some uh, nationless objective source, you know? Oh, I thought you were going to say is... I'm having like a wide audience. <laughs> this also is that... Red, White, and Vroom podcasting. And w- we love all all parts of that um but the andretti cadillac bit is particularly important to us and to our interest in formula one and so it is incredibly disappointing to have formula one um be so disdainful in its communication about that proposal um and so i want to thank everyone for joining us and look forward to our next discussion of lewis hamilton going to ferrari are we sure that still happened i Um, it's wild uh, and everything else that is going to follow from that silly season is on folks um but once again thank you for joining us this has been red white and vroom podcasting good night